Hello, Matthew Garnett here with In Layman's Terms. Welcome back to another episode. One thing we did not get to this year were Easter sermons, and I had the wonderful privilege of checking out our celebrity pastor Easter sermons from this year, if you could call them that. Um, and one theme kind of stood out to me and all that. It was um, that it seems like these pastors are somewhat bored with the resurrection, to be honest. They want to talk about everything else but Christ's resurrection and what the implications of that are, why why he had to die and be and be risen from the dead um, on an Easter Sunday. I really want to hear the sermon very centered on Christ and his person and work on our behalf. Uh, why it is, what's the reason he had to die? What's, you know, what's this whole sin issue about anyway? Why did he have to rise from the dead? What are, you know, what are the, uh, the implications of that? And something really laser focused on Christ and his work. And unfortunately, we didn't get much of that uh, from from our megachurch pastors this year. I just uh, I always like to check out Andy Stanley and see what he has to say. It's always something worth looking over. Then I just did a search on YouTube and the first five, four or five sermons that came up, I just listened to them. And uh, j- sadly, even from some pastors, I expected to give fairly decent Easter sermons. Now, not everything's bad in them, but they, but they're very they're very focused on um, on us. And not on Christ and his, his work on our behalf. Uh, so it's just a misprioritization, uh, but a misplaced emphasis, really. And right, that's just kind of what we're going to go over this time. So before we get to all that, let me remind you to go to laymanstermsradio.org and donate to the Men of Steel Project, where we are trying to raise funds to get uh, some help with putting together a business plan where we could start a truck driving school for former inmates um, and kind of expand things from there. I think that would be a great way to serve the community with the skills I have. And I think it's something that, uh, you know, the trucking industry needs, needs lots of drivers. We're short, many, many drivers. Uh, you know, I can quite properly, <laughs> I could leave my job tomorrow and go find another one. No problem. But, um, so we need those drivers. And from what I hear, uh, from law enforcement, parole officers and whatnot, these men just need a chance. And, uh, given that chance, I think they could, they could take off and run with it. So we would like to, to get something in place like that. There's many different options for actually executing something like that, that we're looking at. But we first of all need to get this, this, uh, kind of grant proposal, um, business proposal done for so we don't look like, you know, uh, we don't know what we're doing, which I don't. <laughs> I know how to drive trucks and, and talk a little bit. And that's about it. I don't know. I don't know how to present these things to businesses where where they make sense. So please go donate uh, to the Ministerial Project at laymanstermsradio.org. So we're going to take a few steps back here. We're going to go back to Easter sermons, which again we unfortunately missed in the midst of the of the hullabaloo here in the past few months. And I'm just going to hit uh, some highlights of a few sermons I hear, heard and talk about where they fall short as far as an Easter sermon might. You, you might want to see an Easter sermon fall. So here we go with that. So let me break this down real simple. I was talking to a YouTuber the other day. And there's nothing uncommon about YouTubers, but he's 59. And he was sharing with me how he had been a music producer, and then when that stopped and he was down to his last little bit of money in the bank account, I told you this story. I'm going to tell them now. He kind of was at the point in his life where, you know, by the time you're 54, he was 54 when he started his channel, you kind of have a pretty good idea of what you can and can't do. 
right? Like, I mean, one day his intern walks in. He told me the story. He said, one day his intern walks in and says, you should start a YouTube channel. And, and the beautiful thing about this guy, he's got the grayest gray hair, shocking white, like the transfiguration of Jesus Christ himself. And he said, there's nobody with hair like this on YouTube. I'm a producer. This is what I do. I'm a music teacher. This is what I do. I don't even know how to make the videos. Now, I wouldn't be telling you this story if he tried and failed. Obviously, he succeeded. Right? He I was studying. He is there's there's all these other YouTubers who are younger and and more hair and different colored hair and all of these different things. See, see, I'm telling you this story because you can tell yourself a summary of what you are and what you're not based on the experience that you've had, not the potential that you carry. And so what he said was, I'm not a YouTuber. I'm a 54-year-old producer. His channel is bigger than all the young guys today. Right? Right? And you would be clapping so hard if you realized that whatever you have told yourself is the stopping point of what you can be fails to factor in that the limitless God who says, My name is I am and will not be confined to one category is living on the inside of you. So if he was going to do it, he'd have done it by now. Well, maybe he wants to do something different. So God, I expected you to be this in my life. I expected you to plan it and do it and execute it like this. But what I thought you were is not all you are. So the message of Easter is just like the tomb. I'm open. I'm open. All right, so I hate to break it to Pastor Furtick here, but the message of Easter is not that I'm open. That is not what the empty tomb symbolizes. And he took a significant... Now, Pastor Furtick tends to preach a long time, an hour, uh, if you're lucky. And he will go off into these different uh, rabbit trails. He'll chase these down and tell stories and what have you. But what Christians need to hear on Easter is... Not about how the open tomb is, you know, gives you this wide open life and there's all this opportunity and this is, this is what it's all about. God's going to make, going to give you your best life now. He's going to make you successful. He's going to give you opportunity like being a YouTuber. He's going to do this, that, that is not the promise of the resurrection. See, here's again, thematic of these sermons. The problem in the United States is we're not, Christians aren't scared of hell anymore. They're not scared of, of the grave. Because we live, especially here in the United States, we live such comfortable lives, such easy, uh, really no barriers type of lives. We have all the luxuries we want. We're the richest people in human history. We live the longest. So even a guy like me who's approaching 50, right? The idea of the grave is something that doesn't enter my mind very often. Because essentially, that, that is what the empty tomb is about, is my eventual resurrection. See, I've been adopted as a son of God and will share in the resurrection on that day. That's what the message of the tomb is about. And how did we get there? Well, 
Christ had to die as a substitute and pay the penalty for my sin in order for that to happen. Now, pastors will talk about heaven. They might bring that up. I actually listened to Charles Stanley's sermon. His wasn't terrible, but he, he talked about heaven, but he didn't talk about what death means, what death in the grave really means outside of Christ. And that's a major problem. Because what we really should be celebrating about Christ's resurrection is not that he's going to give us this great life. It might not happen. We might continue to struggle. The, 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 the sad thing about a lot of American Christianity is the way they preach makes it sound like that your life's going to get better. And it might. And it probably will. But look, let me just tell you somebody who's made mistakes in their lives. Your, your mistakes do have natural consequences. And they will follow you. And if you've made some major boo-boos like I have, it's just kind of hard to get past them. You, they just kind of, you just, in this life, this side of glory, we're going to be carrying those around and it might be difficult, might make it difficult, might create some barriers for us that, you know, that we might just not be able to overcome. There might be something in your life that stops you from doing something you want to do because of a past sin. That's just how, that's the natural consequences of sin. That's how God disciplines us. That's how, you know, how he says, yeah, look, Here's an opportunity you might have had had you not done this, okay? Um, and so in the future, let's try not to do this sin. See, that's how that's how our loving Father disciplines us, right? We do the same thing with our own children. We say, hey, well, you know, um, I would have let you do such and this today that you wanted to do, but yesterday you uh, broke a rule, you didn't get your homework done, uh, you decided to watch TV all night when we told you to go to bed, whatever it is. But so today, nope, we're going to cut off that opportunity. And that's how people learn. That's how we learn. And so Christ in his death and resurrection didn't come to just wipe all that away. Now God can can do that. He can spare us the natural consequences. And we can, of course, pray that the Lord would spare us the natural consequences of our sin. And a lot of times he does. We just don't realize it. Um, but the resurrection is about the defeat of death death and hell. And that's really what the emphasis should be. And unfortunately, Pastor Furtick again spends a significant segment of his Easter sermon talking about this YouTuber and how, you know, the resurrection made the, made the way for that. Well, that's not really what the resurrection is about. We can thank God for blessings. We can thank God for opportunities. He does give us though those. Uh, but what the resurrection does is spare us from hell. <laughs> Let's try to keep that in mind. And that should at least be um, thematic in some of these sermons. When you think, uh, you know, on an Easter Sunday, talk about the crucifixion, you know, and the resurrection and why the crucifixion has to happen and what the implications of the resurrection really are. Because again, you know, you, you might have really made some major mistakes in your life that are going to cause barriers down the road. That's okay. Christ's resurrection is going to put you in God's presence for eternity instead of separated from him in hell. That's what the resurrection does. Let's not forget about that. We can, I mean, Pastor Furtick, if he wants to preach, <clears throat> if he wants to preach 50 or 60 minutes on the resurrection, there's a lot of ways you can go with it. You know, we can talk about, I mean, N.T. Wright, for <laughs> for as much as I, I like N.T. Wright, I don't have a lot of, um, uh, I don't worth isn't the right word, but I don't, esteem N.T. Wright a whole lot because I disagree with him on so many other things, but he wrote a tome just on the word resurrection and what that meant to the Jews of that time and so on and so forth. So you can talk in depth about the resurrection 
um, without going off on these on these rabbit trails, which really don't have much to do with the resurrection. And again, what I've what I like I said in the opening, what I've seen so far in, in these in these Easter sermons, these men are really bored with what the resurrection really means. And they may not understand it as deeply as they need to. Maybe they need to go back and study a little bit. Who knows? Anyway, let's get on to another one here. The, the offer is the death to powerlessness over compulsions, the death to addictions, death to anger, death to unforgiveness, death so that life might live in you. And maybe you're in here, you're going, don't believe you. I know too many Christians. Well, man, I'm glad you brought that up. I was wanting to talk with you about that. So like, if you're hearing what I say right now, and here I am saying, man, you, you can have death to compulsions, death to addictions, death to unforgiveness, death. And you're like, bro, I, I know people at your church, but I, they ain't, this hasn't been put to death in their life. I know. Hey, listen, man, I know. So, so here, maybe, maybe we can talk about this for a second. There is a huge difference between being alive in the spirit and walking in the spirit. The thing that will sow into my sea, by my soul, that'll kind of get me like really animated. And this is quasi animated. There is another gear. Um, is Christians who won't walk in the victory that Christ has actually ushered in, won't utilize the power that indwells them. So, so maybe we can just flesh it out. 20-something years I've been following Jesus Christ. 20-something years. Been in the ministry uh, for 18, 19 of that, and I can still... You catch me on the wrong day. I can feel some compulsions towards things that do not please the heart of God. And I can't believe they're still inside of me. Anybody else been following Jesus still find those things like that still? My gosh, when is that going to go away? Now, here's the difference. Because I am a son and not a slave, I have a choice of whether or not to tap into supernatural divine power that dwells inside of me or just to fold to my flesh. It's a decision that does not exist before I surrender and die to myself and come alive in Christ. Right. So that all sounds uh, really good. Um, sounds pretty much what we're looking to hear from, from a pastor, perhaps on a, on a resurrection Sunday. But what does all that mean? What, what does it mean to die to myself and, and live alive in Christ? What does it mean to, to walk in the spirit? This is, this is what, you know, something I harp on all the time. I want my patch, pastor to instruct me in the law. So what does it mean to walk in, in the spirit? Well, first of all, um, hearing God's word, and I'm a Lutheran, <laughs> hearing God's word and partaking of his sacraments are key. That's, that's the first move. When we uh, find ourselves struggling with, with the same old sin all over and over again, um, the first move is to, to get to church, hear God's word, read God's word, take God's word in. That's where the that's where the power is. See, um, so some specific instruction would have been nice here because you know all this sounds really great, but but at the end of the day, it's it's kind of platitudinous if, if you know what I mean. It, it's kind of these Christian slogans that pastors like to throw around, especially evangelical pastors, and nobody know has a clue what they're talking about. Um, read your Bible and go to church. That that makes sense. Pray, uh, stuff like this. Um, you know what evangelicals? What we evangelicals call or still call, uh, you know, disciplines in the spirit, these sorts of things. Uh, but, but to receive God's word, to hear God's word, you know, come to, come to church, you know, get some people around you that, you know, there's, there's some different ways to do this, but, uh, but again, here we, we have really a, a, a of course, an effect of the resurrection and, and 
Furtick is somewhat talking about that. All he's uh, he's talking about, you know, opportunity in life and being successful, and you know, he's more word of faith. So the resurrection to him is, you know, the empty tomb means it's open. It's you know, the 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 future's not, you know, set in stone. You know, you you didn't think you that God could do this for you, but He can. That's not really what the resurrection is about. But nor is it about primarily helping us to be free from sin to overcome sin. Now let me talk about that because that sounds that sounds weird. Oh. The scriptures teach us, Matt, that um, we've been set free from sin. We are no longer slaves to sin, but sons of of the Most High and that sort of thing. A lot of, a lot of what Pastor Chandler is talking about. But primarily, the rex- again, I want to emphasize this. this. is why I think these guys are bored of what the resurrection really primarily foundationally means. Because I listen to all these sermons all the way through. And they, if they touch on it at all, it's not significant. It's not thematic of what the of what they're preaching. It's a it's a side note. The fact that Christ in his resurrection overcame death for us. Okay, well what's death mean? That you know, a pastor could spend a good hour talking about what death in holy scripture really means and what it means to be an enemy of God outside of his kingdom. And see, that's why we're going to get to Pastor Stanley in a minute and I'll bring this up again, but that's why the disciples were really scared. And I'll talk more about that after a while, but but again, um, we don't want to hear our pastors give platitudes when they're teaching. If you're going to teach in the law, go to the Ten Commandments. Go to the commands of Holy Scripture and talk about that. This is, you know, imitate St. Paul, as he says. Be really good for pastors to do this and not just throw out their platitudes. Uh, because, again, nobody really knows what that means, especially if he's got, you know, he wants unbelievers there, but his own parishioners probably don't know, okay, I want to live in the spirit. I want to walk in the spirit. Well, all right, I'm going to go home today. I'm going to walk in the spirit. Uh, okay, what, what what does that mean? Give give us some some practicals from the commands of Holy Scripture on that. That would be very helpful. All right, but again, I want to see these guys go back to the resurrection and talk about that. They seem really bored with it, and Pastor Chandler, as animated as he is and enthusiastic as he is, is as fired up as uh, Stephen Furtick has his crowd, um, it doesn't seem like they're really too excited about the realities of the resurrection here. They're bored with them. Let's move on. And it's not a one-time deal, guys. It's not a let me die to myself and be baptized. Jesus says, take up the cross every day and not to add to scripture. But sometimes I feel like I got to pick it up a couple times a day. I feel like three or four times a day I've got to pick it up. But by being aware of whose I am and who I am as opposed to what I'm not frees me up to fight against sin, compulsions, and and addictions with a weapon that I don't have if I won't die to myself. If I won't die to myself, all I have is my own strength and might. And how's that working out for us? Not well. So what he's getting ready to say there, the offer on the table is this power he's talking about. And and again, I... You know, die, die to yourself. What, what does that mean? Okay. For me as a Lutheran, that, that is a very, I know, I know exactly what that means. That means I live in the truth of my baptism, that I have died with Christ, that my old self has been crucified with him and I've been raised from the dead to a new life, different from the life I had before. Okay. I know what that means practically. Um, but we Lutherans like to say, remember your baptism. All right. Now that's, that's a very practical exercise. See, I don't, I don't know what he's asking his parishioners to do here. What 
so when when a, when a sin confronts you, what is, is there? A, so he's, he keeps bringing up these platitudes. Is he is he telling you to say this mantra? I've I've died to sin. I'm I'm alive in Christ. I'm going to walk in the Spirit. I'm going to take up my cross. Is that what you're supposed to do? Just repeat these mantras to yourself? Well, I mean, again, we Lutherans even have that mantra: remember your baptism. But if I want to understand my baptism, how do I do that? Well, I expose myself to the preaching and teaching and the reading of God's Word. That's that's a real practical way to do that. Um, and that's where we believe, as Lutherans, that's where the power is. See, we don't believe the power is in us repeating mantras or saying sayings to ourselves to help us overcome sin, but to actually pray if we're confronted with the sin. Lord, help me to overcome this temptation. It's really hard right now. And then if we fail, what do we do? Oh, I'll try harder next time. I'll pray more. No, we go and we confess our sins to God and say, Lord, I fell to that temptation. Please help me. You know, just like in the Lord's Prayer, lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from evil. We pray these prayers, right? We get into these kinds of spiritual practices. So again, my biggest problem here is what he's not saying. What he's saying is not wrong, insofar as it goes. It just it it, it it's hard to attach real meaning to that in everyday life. You know, take up your cross and follow him. What does that What does that mean? I have to take up my cross a few times. What What, what are you doing? You got a wooden cross. With, what are you doing there? Um, how does How does God instruct us in Holy Scripture to do uh, to uh, take up our cross to walk in the Spirit, etc.? Okay, let's listen a little more, Chandler. The death of compulsion, sinful compulsion, the death of addiction, the 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 death of sin reigning over your life so that life, real life, true life might dwell in you and grant you the supernatural power to walk in victory. And I know some of you guys, it, you're just like, the, the, this, this area in particular, the pain is so great. Like the thing that drives you to addiction, the thing that drives you to these compulsions, it's born out of a deep brokenness and despair. And maybe even your heart this morning, I just want it to stop. I just want it to stop. And again, I just want to, this is the great offer for you today. Because the, the foot is level at the cross. People who grew up in church don't have some step up on you. People who have never done those things, they don't have a step up on you. If you're like looking at your life and going, I'm guilty of all these things, and my friends that go to church, they haven't done these things. That's not a step up. The ground is level for us all because all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The scriptures judge every human being, not just those who aren't morally upright. Okay, again, true insofar as it goes. Um, the, the ground is level at the cross. I agree with that. <laughs> uh but he's failing. He's he's confusing what we call as Lutherans. We call this a confusion of law and gospel. The ground is level at the cross. The Lord, when He calls us by His gospel and saves us by His grace, we're all we're all level. No matter what sin we've committed, uh, what moral struggles we've had, how our life has gone, the poor decisions, the good decisions, these sorts of things, the ground is all level at the cross. We're all equally sinners, as Saint Paul teaches us. As Pastor Chandler pointed out, we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We need the forgiveness of sins through Jesus Christ and his person and work, his death and his resurrection. We need that. And there's not one person who doesn't need that, and there's not one person who has a leg up in in, attain, in getting that from God by his grace. There's no, no worse sinners. There's no, oh, well, you've sinned so much, we can't, you know, 
God's gone. We can't really help you here. You're, you know, you're just, you're just too far gone. That's not, that's not true. But he's failing to make that distinction between justification and sanctification. Like I was talking about before, this is a hard thing to hear, but pastors, good pastors need to teach this, that, that when you have <laughs> made certain decisions in, their, in your life, there might be difficulty in overcoming certain sins. There, there, there might be sins that your fellow churchmates never struggled with because they were, ne- they never exposed themselves to those sins. And you think about something like pornography. Well, um, if you've got a bunch of people around you who've ne- never, ex- you know, were never exposed to that sort of thing, it's a lot easier for them to to steer clear of that sin than maybe somebody else who has indulged themselves in that sin. And so we need to we need to be real about that. I mean, sanctification for somebody who has not been around the church most of their life is 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 going to be more difficult. It's going to be a, uh, more of a struggle. There's not a, there's not this level of playing field <laughs> that Pastor Chandler's talking about. It's, you know, um, the, the more you practice the commands of Holy Scripture, guess what? The better you'll become at them. Uh, the more years you spend listening to God's word, hearing his word, partaking of his sacraments, um, having people around you to hold you accountable, these sorts of things. The more years that happens, <laughs> then the sanctification piece comes along. I think what I struggle with, just this is just a personal perspective, is that, you know, again, I've made some poor decisions in my past. I've exposed myself to some things that have been that that have been very uh, detrimental uh, to my sanctification that I've had to struggle to overcome. Whereas some of my churchmates, they don't they don't struggle quite as hard just because they've been practicing it longer. (laughs) Uh, And so I think for me, just to just to realize that takes a weight off. Now, maybe I'm being too psychoanalytical here, but just realizing that your past decisions are going to, are going to continue to affect your future this side of glory. It's, it's sad, but true. God's not just going to wipe those things away because he's got it. He's got, he loves you and he's got to discipline you away from those things. And that's, that's painful and that's hard. And that's what you're going to go through. Um, and so that, so again, the mistake or the error that Pastor Chandler is making here is he's conflating justification and sanctification. And he really needs to make clear, get real clear on, hey, this is what the this is what the death and resurrection of Christ does. This is how it justifies you. Here's here's a term we use. He preaches about 30 minutes. He could have talked about what justification by faith means and then what sanctification looks like afterward. All right. He's trying to do that, but he's conflating the two things where it's just, hey, just come to the foot of the cross and then all that stuff in your past, that's going to go away. You're going to be relieved of these compulsions. And that's just not true. <laughs> it's not, it, it, it's still going to be a struggle. There's not some magic that falls on you when God calls you by his gospel. What he does is he saves you from death and hell. That's what the death and resurrection of Christ essentially do. I keep bringing this up, but I want to make this point and geez, get talk forever about this, right? And focus on that. But if you want to talk about what the lasting effects have on that, be honest about it. Be honest to say, Hey, you know, if you came in here with, a drug addiction and you, uh, God calls you by the gospel today and you are saved and you are baptized. That drug addiction just isn't going to disappear. <laughs> and that, and that's the kind of language, language he's kind of using in some senses. Um, you know, because he keeps mentioning addiction and addiction is a very, very difficult thing to overcome. It's, there's no magic formula, um, in the Christian faith that will help you to overcome that. Now being saved helps. <laughs> Helps a lot. 
because he's right. There, there is power in, in the gospel to overcome these things. That's true. But it's, I don't think it's really fair to, to, to put it the way he's putting it because he's making it out like this, this is, this is the panacea you've been looking for. This, you know, all that guilt and shame and things you've struggled with your whole life. That's just going to somehow melt away. Now you're still going to struggle with it. Uh, but he's right in the sense to that you should, you should come to the foot of the cross. Uh, you, you know, God is going to call you into the gospel. And remember, the, the big deal is we're saved from death and hell. That should be huge, right? Again, we're all so comfortable here. You know, we want, we want our lives to be pristine and perfect. We want our children to be these wonderful, everything else. We all want that. Um, and we think that what we really need to be saved from is a, maybe a crappy life here on earth. That's what we really need to be saved from. That's, that's not what ultimately the Lord is saving us from. He's saving, he's saving us from death and hell. And that's really where you want the emphasis to be, uh, because that's the thing that should terrify you, right? That, that you're an enemy of God. Um, that it, that if you pass from this life to the next as an enemy of God, you're going to hell. That should terrify you. Um, and you should, and that should drive you to want to be, to be forgiven of your sin. See, that's really, <laughs> but, but again, these, these big mega church pastors, they've been seeker sensitive for so many years. It's hard to, hard for them to talk like that. It's hard, you know. You're not going to catch any of these guys dead, <laughs> pardon the pun, um, talking about death and hell on a resurrection Sunday and really what the resurrection does, right? Because that's pretty, that's pretty uncomfortable stuff. We want to talk more about, okay, what's going to make my life better now, right? Um, and don't get me wrong. I mean, look, being a Christian is better than not being a Christian, uh, but it's not going to, it's not going to answer all your questions and solve all your problems overnight. It's, it's not. Life is going to continue to be a struggle. In this life, Jesus tells us, you will have tribulation, right? And that includes dealing and combating sin that maybe we've uh, steeped ourselves in for, for many, many years. So I just think um, uh, Pastor Chandler here is being a little naive or preaching in a way that's, that sounds naive to the realities of, of what it looks like uh, to, to be called by the gospel, to be saved. Uh, and then what, how things are going to go afterward. All right. Um, because he mentioned it, right? He says, I know Christians in your congregation that still haven't. Yeah. Yep. Yep. That's right. They're still going to struggle. And he, and he tries to mix that in there a little bit. Uh, but again, what would be great is if he were able to preach in such a way that would make you scared of hell again. <laughs> then you go, ah, oh, shoo. Okay. The big deal's taken care of. You know, the, you know, my, my enmity between myself and the Lord God of the universe, that's, that's taken care of at the cross and in the resurrection. And really after that, everything's kind of gravy. All right. It, when you start to think about things with that big eternal perspective, right. And none of these guys really do that, do they? All right. All right. Let's move on to somebody else here. Who we got next? I'm not. And I don't know what you've been stained by, but some of you have been stained by secrets. Secrets that are in your family right now. Secrets that even as I'm talking to you, they're touching your heart right now. Stains from conversations you've had with people. Stains from the mother that did not validate you because she knew something she didn't want. Anybody else to know? So she kept it a secret what happened to you in that house. 
Yeah, no, no, I know, I know, I know. I know we don't want to talk about it for real, but many of us right now are hugging people. Secret relationships. In the DMs with people. Secrets. And the thing about the secrets is it left a mark on you. And as much as I try to go away from it and only come back once a month, every time I connect with that secret, the longer it stays alive, the more I try to only do it when I really need it. It finds itself a part of me. And now I go to church on the praise team like this. And now I'm raising kids like this. And now I'm trying to do this. And the thing is now they're nowhere to be found. The secrets go away from me in my action, but I still have proof that it impacted my life. And all I'm saying to you is that we all have stains. Somebody say we all have stains. And I know that some of you have run so far away from that childhood past, from that trauma, that thing that has happened. But I'm telling you, the trauma was never dealt with. And so you have been affected by the secrets and the secrets have given birth to trauma. Yep. Hold on. I didn't know. Okay. um, This is super creepy. This is a pastor called Michael Todd, um, and I don't—I wasn't aware of him before I came across his Easter sermon, which I think was ranked third on on the YouTube. Um, I have no idea what he's talking about here. I mean, he, I'm, he's talking about sin. I get that, and how it how it stains you, how it how it affects your life, how it uh, how it can bog you down, kind of like we've been been talking about. But again, like I said, like I said, this was just this one just came across as immensely an immensely creepy way to, to come across with with the idea that we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Now, let me talk about that a little bit. Because Andy Stanley's gonna engage in kind of the same thing. That's which is why I come to the conclusion that these guys are really bored with the concept of the resurrection at the end of the day. Um evangelicals believe that uh and I I believe this when I was an evangelical that if we if we can just bring the message across in, in some kind of certain way then people will be will decide to be saved. And that's not how salvation works at all. Salvation is a gift from God. This is what St. Paul says in Ephesians 2. Uh, For it is by grace we have been saved through faith, and this is not of ourselves. The grace and the faith are not ours. We are, we are dead in trespasses and sins. There's nothing we can do to earn God's salvation, to earn our justification. That's completely a work of God, and it must be that way has to be that way. It has to be the power of God unto salvation by him calling us and raising us from the dead through uh, through the word of God, which is what St. Paul teaches in Romans. How will they believe without a preacher, right? Um, this kind, this act here, this kind of creepy, weird thing that's going on there, um, first of all, it's extremely inappropriate for church. He's got women hanging on him for purposes of illustration. This... Um, not appropriate for church, in my opinion. But it, again, very creepy, very uncomfortable, in my opinion. Second of all, he's ruined that great Carhartt jacket he's got on there. I don't know if the, hopefully that paint will come out of there, but we'll see. 
But he's doing all this in the hope that he's going to elicit an emotional response from his audience, which it does. And people run up and they say, I want to get rid of my stains and so on and so forth. And they still don't have one clue what the resurrection is really all about. Because again, what he's talking about is, you know, psychological effects of trauma or abuse or, or these sorts of things, which are very, very difficult to deal with. And does it help to deal with those things if you're a Christian? Yes, it does. <laughs> but it's not, it's not going to be this thing that just magically makes that stuff disappear. This, the, you know, those sorts of traumas, if he's, if I, if I get what he's talking about, it sounds like he's talking about, you know, abusive relationships with parents and that sort of thing that are really traumatic in a person's life. It's, this is just something that, people that have gone through that struggle with, um, you know, a, a good part of their life. And it, yeah, it does help to be a Christian, but that's not what the resurrection's about. That is not what the resurrection is about. And again, it does help if pastors are to bring into perspective what the resurrection is all about, but they either don't know, they don't know how, how to articulate it. They don't, I don't know if they've not studied their Bibles enough. They haven't thought through these things. Uh, but again, it's, it's very easy to get up there and talk about how being a Christian is going to help, uh, you to overcome sin in your life, overcome, uh, past mistakes, overcome past trauma. Okay. All well and good. But at base, that's not what the resurrection's about. And I know I'm beating this drum, but I want, I want to get this through. And the reason they don't preach this is because American Christians don't want to hear that. They want to be able to go to church and hear what their itching ears want to hear, as St. Paul teaches us in First Timothy. They, they want to hear about how the gospel can help us with these things, but they don't want to hear about the root of the problem which Christ dealt with on the cross, which is our sin and the penalty he paid for it, and what we deserve because of our sin, and what death means, and so on and so forth, like we've been talking here. And the point is, they believe, and, and, and it's kind of borne out to be true, that more people stick around at, in their congregations than if they preach like what I'm talking about. I think that's true. The problem with it is, it, you know, when, when you preach to Christians like I'm talking about, that's the stuff that, that's the word of God to them. And unfortunately, there are people who are not Christians, but yet they'll show up to church because they get to hear this instead of what the truth is over and over again. Um, they wouldn't be having these big live streams. They wouldn't have these huge churches. Um, I don't think, but at the same time, I, I'm just, I'd just be curious, uh, you know, if, if a church said, Hey, you know, why don't we just right down the middle, preach God's word and let the chips fall where they may. Some churches do that and they're huge. I mean, if they're, they're faithful to that. Um, that's, that's what I want to see. And it, and it bothers me because, the gospel is not being preached in its fullness in these places. And therefore, if the gospel is not going out to the people, that's a major problem. And that's what we see, I think, in sermon after sermon after sermon, Easter after Easter after Easter. They're trying to attract more people to their congregation. So they talk about these things that people go, yes, that's really what I want to hear. Uh, Christianity is all about. And so sign me up, you know, but in the meantime, they never hear the gospel. And again, I listen to all these sermons and the gospel is not presented. Not presented properly at all. Not even close. Be a good time to do that if you have such a crowd to, to preach to straight up preach the gospel. You know, little little old school fire, fire and brimstone wouldn't hurt in this case because that's the only way to to put in contrast 
the death that we had before we were Christians with Christ's resurrection. That's the only way it makes sense. It doesn't make sense otherwise because you see, you see Furtick and Chandler and, and this guy, Pastor Todd, they can't, they can't even make sense of it. And so they put it over in some other category. They're making a complete category error with it. And in the meantime, they're not getting the gospel to, to the people that have ears to hear. The people that have ears to hear, they're hitting the road. Those mega churches are revolving doors. Um, and the people that, that want to hear this fluff, these platitudes that you're, you know, this is going to answer all your questions and solve all your problems in life, this side of glory. Um, those people stick around and the people that are, that are being called by the gospel, they hit the road because they're not hearing the gospel. And that's really where the power is. The power is not. And, and again, that's another indictment of this sort of approach, this creepy, whatever it is he's doing. He thinks the power is in this great illustration he's come up with. I used to do that too. I used to do all these crazy illustrations when, when I used to preach in, in the evangelical church just to get attention and, and elicit emotion and so on and so forth. Um, because I know <laughs> that's attractive to people. Um, just in general, that's attractive to people. But the gospel eh, may or may not be attractive to people, depending on uh, if God is calling them or not. See, So um, that's that's the really the, the base problem with this. And in, in, in another way is that Pastor Todd thinks that, that the power of his sermon here is really found in this crazy illustration he's doing. It's not. Preach the Bible, sir. That's where the power is. All right. So anyway, let's move on. We're uh, coming up to Pastor Stanley here, I think, next. So there are confused citizens. Uh, there are frightened disciples. There are brokenhearted women. But one thing you would not have found on the afternoon before the first Easter, there were no Christians. There were no Christians. There were no believers. Okay, that that may or may not be true. Okay, so in Pastor Stanley's worldview or understanding of the scripture, he's a dispensationalist. I mean, a, and I mean a hardcore dispensationalist. That's why he talks about you know all that crazy stuff. If you go, if you want to go back and listen to sermons I reviewed of Pastor Stanley's, where um, he says crazy stuff like Christians created the Bible, all that sort of thing. You can go listen to all that. Uh, but the reason he says there were no Christians is because. Um, he in dispensationalism, what you believe is there were no Christians before the resurrection. And then that leads to the question of, well, how, how is it that Abraham was saved? What was he saved by? Well, it's kind of hard to answer that question. I mean, it shouldn't be hard. Genesis 15 is very clear about this. Abraham was saved uh, because he believed and God counted it as righteousness to him. He was saved. And what did he believe in? Well, if you understand that passage, he believed in the death and resurrection of Christ. So we, we've had Christians all along. Uh, they might not have understood uh, kind of that, that label, but they would have been Christians. They would have had faith in the coming Messiah who was going to die and rise again for the forgiveness of their sins. That's what all the sacrifices in the Old Testament were about, generally speaking. Especially the, the 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 biggest one, the Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. That was the big deal. That's that's what all those sacrifices were pointing toward was the death and resurrection of Christ. And we see that all throughout the the Old Testament. And the believers, would, we would consider them Christians. They're they're going to be Old Testament saints. And in Stanley's worldview, the 
or understanding of the scripture, his dispensational understanding of scripture, that there are no Christians before the resurrection. There can't be. Right. And so, um, He's not getting this from scripture. It's more, it's, it's, it's his theological construct that he's getting this from because he really has no evidence one way or another, whether or not the, the, the disciples were believers or not. They might have been. I mean, it, you know, they certainly showed a lot of uh, evidence that they didn't believe. Maybe. I don't know. It's, it, it's the, the scriptures aren't clear either way. The only the only possible we know for sure that that uh, wasn't a believer was Judas. Yeah. So for him to say there were no Christians uh, before the resurrection, uh, yeah, that's uh, that's a, a dubious claim at best. I, I would say they were Christians. Um, they, you know, they just they had their doubts. And, you know, that's really, <laughs> you know, when the disciples were hiding there in the upper room and Jesus comes comes in and says, peace be with you. What he means is I'm not here to destroy you. Right. Because this guy you followed around um, for three years is uh is arrested and crucified and you run for the hills and aren't around to help him or or uh, be by his side for this um what do you think he might do if you if he wrote if you saw him risen from the dead you might be afraid yeah but but there's a lot of evidence that i mean he brings up he just briefly there went through joseph joseph of arimathea and um nicodemus a lot of evidence that those guys believed yeah uh, they were there. They were there when he was crucified. And Nicodemus took the risk of, uh, or uh, yeah, Nicodemus and Joseph took the risk of, of collecting his body and putting it in a tomb and that sort of thing. Um, so, yeah, like, like I say, that's a kind of a, a dubious claim to make there that there were there were no Christians, right? That's that is Stanley's uh, dispensational construct on top of the scripture rather than letting the scripture speak. And there's all kinds of problems with dispensationalism that make simple passage of scripture. Very confusing if you put that construct on it. And this is, this is part of it. See here. Okay. So anyway, I just wanted to point that out. Let's, let's move back to it. There were no Jesus followers. Nobody believed Jesus was the son of God, God's Messiah. He, he certainly wasn't a savior. He couldn't even save himself. And nobody, as we discovered, nobody was planning to keep the dream alive or the Jesus movement moving. I mean, if Jesus couldn't keep himself alive, what hope did they have of keeping his movement alive? Besides, why bother? Jesus was not who he claimed to be, which was the whole point of the movement. And this is so important. Jesus' ministry, and so many people miss this, Jesus' ministry, um, it did not center on some new ideology or a call for... What about the centurion? When, When Christ died and the earthquake happened, uh, the centurion said, surely this was the son of God. He was a believer. What about the thief on the cross? I mean, again, you, you, you know, he, I just want to point out very clearly that um, Stanley is is lying his dispensational construct on the scriptures and it makes stuff confusing. And I'm not sure even why he needs to make that claim. Well, what he's going to get at is that the resurrection of Christ is really uh, what created the movement, the believers, you see, um, and and he's he's got this backwards. He 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 mixes this up every Easter. He does something goofy like this, um, and and again, he's bored of the resurrection in a different way than these other guys were. See, they wanted to talk about you know the things that they talked about uh, because they thought that's what their audience wanted to hear, and that's true. Their audience does want to hear that. Um, it keeps them coming, 
but unfortunately that, you know, it's, it's hard to keep Christians around there when you don't preach the gospel properly. Uh, but Stanley's doing something completely different. He's ignoring the resurrection of Christ and what it means in favor of kind of telling this, you know, making this grander, or I don't know, grander point, making this other point that the Christian movement really didn't get off the ground till after the resurrection. Well, that's true. All right. If, if, you know, Paul says, if Christ not be not raised from the dead, our faith is in vain, right? I'm paraphrasing from first Corinthians, but, um, that's not the point of the resurrection to us. It's not, it's, it, I, I'm, that's again, he's ignoring just in a different way, um, the resurrection and the implications to us. And he, he does this the whole sermon. He doesn't talk about sin being defeated, death being defeated. He doesn't talk about any of that. All he talks about is the resurrection story and how, you know, the Christian movement didn't get off the ground until after the resurrection. Uh, that's not what I want to hear on an Easter Sunday. That's not what needs to be taught. That, that's, this would be, you know, maybe some form of, uh, uh, you know, some kind of lecture you might give at some point about the, about the resurrection and the Christian movement and that sort of thing. I'd be fine if you gave a lecture like this, but this is not a good sermon <laughs> on Easter Sunday. So anyway, uh, hopefully you caught that. Let's try to get into a little more of what Stanley does and we got to wrap up. And this is so important. Jesus ministry, and so many people miss this, Jesus ministry, um, it did not center on some new ideology or a call for social or religious reform. This was, this was not like the civil rights movement or even the reformation. Jesus wasn't trying to reform or improve anything. He came to replace something. He came, he came to establish something brand standalone new. He didn't and he doesn't fit the model of the average culture warrior or even social activist. Although most culture warriors and social activists certainly attempt to co-opt Jesus. I mean, read the gospels carefully and you'll discover he does not leave that option open to us. But if you just skim the gospels or if you listen to a lot of preachers, you may come away convinced that, well, Jesus can be assimilated into some modern movement. I mean, after all, if you think about it, uh, most social movements are initially led by a charismatic leader, usually a man. All right. So yeah, we get more of Stanley's lecture here, more of his dispensationalism, et cetera, et cetera. Um, that that piece where he says that that Jesus came to do a brand new standalone thing, yeah, that that just grates my last nerve because basically what he's saying is the whole Old Testament, everything leading up to the death and resurrection of Christ, has nothing to do with Christianity anymore. I'm, I that's what it sounds like he's saying to me. I'm that, I might be guessing, I might be not putting the best construction I can on it, but it. It, it just sounds like that the everything leading up all the prophecy everything leading up to to Christ was you know it didn't matter because what Christ is doing a brand new stand if it's a brand new standalone thing we really don't need the Old Testament you know that's kind of what the you know Marcion and the and the Gnostics did out oh, we don't you know, the Old Testament's a different God that was a completely different thing and Jesus yeah came out of that uh, but, other, but beside that um, we this is a whole new thing uh, no. Not true. Um, the the Messiah was 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 prophesied by God Himself in the garden when He said that Eve would uh, Eve's seed would crush the head of Satan and Satan would bruise his heel. That was the what they call the 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 proto gospel, the proto euangelion, right? If we're going to use Greek, but um, I don't know what he's talking about reading the new skimming the New Testament and getting something 
weird out of it, uh, or uh, other than what he he's getting out of it. But 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 again, you're seeing that you know that dispensational bent um, c- come with with Stanley, and what he's trying to show is, or what he's trying to prove is that Jesus wasn't trying to start a new ide- ideological movement, and and really, in a sense. He's downplaying the teachings of Christ in the New Testament. Now, I see, I've seen dispensationalists do this all the time. Just depends on how extreme they are. And Stanley's a pretty extreme one, extreme example of that. That, um, that really, you know, everything Christ taught for three years, eh, that's irrelevant. What's really important is the resurrection. Now, the important, the resurrection is the most important thing, but that doesn't mean there aren't other important things leading up to the death and resurrection of, of Christ. And again, I go back to the same old theme. He's bored with the resurrection. He wants to make this, uh, theological point, which, you know, might be better served in, in a lecture where you're debating whether or not dispensationalism best explains Holy Scripture. Okay. Get a little more in and then we got to quit. I'm a charismatic leader with a new or seemingly new message that appeals to outcast and the disenfranchised. And then they show up at a time when culture is ripe for change. And when they die, what do their followers do? Well, they take up their cause. They keep their teaching alive. And history is full of examples of that, right? And I understand this. One would assume that this was the case with Jesus. He lived, he taught, he was executed. So naturally, his followers felt the need to keep his message alive his teaching alive. So obviously they just went around teaching what Jesus taught, right? Wrong. No serious historian, no serious historian embraces that theory. And neither does anyone who's actually read the gospels clearly for for two reasons. To begin with, to begin with, Jesus' message was not a message of liberation or revolution. It, It wasn't even a popular message. Read the gospels. Jesus' message didn't appeal to anyone. Just the opposite. Pay your taxes, pray for your enemies, lust equals adultery, turn the other cheek. If someone asks for your coat, give them your shirt, forgive regardless. Seriously, Jesus' teaching was impractical. It was untenable. Um, It was not of this world. He introduced a kingdom ethic. He introduced a kingdom ethic that actually stood in contrast with both what the temple taught and what the empire represented. And most of the time, Most of the time, his listeners didn't even understand what he was talking about. How many times after he taught did his disciples swing around after the fact and say, "Um, basically, what, what were you talking about? So the point is this, Jesus did not come to leave his followers with a collection of insights or short stories to pass on to the next generation. Judaism was full of that sort of thing. Besides, Jesus never called on his followers to trust in his ideas. Okay, so there there again, let me just reemphasize this point one more time in case you missed it the half dozen other times I said it. He is not talking about the resurrection. Not the way you should from the from a pulpit on on resu- on Easter morning. He's he's not. He's giving a lecture about his take on how Christianity emerged from this first century, first century Palestinian Jew named Jesus. That's that's his take on it and that's that's that is a fairly popular scholarly take is that Christianity really didn't get off the ground until all of these rumors or what quote unquote what they the secular scholars would call rumors of the resurrection. That's true. Don't care. Pastor Stanley, could you please tell me what any of this has to do with me? Because he goes through this whole sermon and never gets to that. And then on top of that, he does all these other little annoyances that just um, just drive me batty. 
because he he's downplaying all of Christ's teachings. Yeah, I mean, he made the point that they were against the the temple. True, against the empire. True. Um, was he misunderstood? Yes. Uh, he did have a following. He had a large following at one point. Uh, you know, I had several thousand folks out in the middle of a grassy field one time he had to feed, right? Um, but, you know, who knows why they were, <clears throat> why necessarily they were following. Um, and we really don't know when the big crowd started to break up, probably after the feeding of the, the 5,000, the feeding of the 4,000. Those sorts of things where Jesus is, well, I'm not here to feed you. That's not, you're missing the point of the miracle, right? But all of those teachings are important. All that, that, that collection of teachings to be passed on from generation to generation to generation, that's important too. It's not unimportant. But again, go back to our theme. These men are evidently bored with preaching what Christ's resurrection uh, really means and emphasizing that and for the reasons we've already illustrated. Okay. There we go. We got some Easter sermons in this year. Yay. <laughs> um, wasn't necessarily looking forward to doing this, but I got to get these in just to kind of get a check on the evangelical world every once again. And that's kind of been my practice over the past few years. I largely ignore them because they preach the same sermons over and over again. And then when they get to Easter, they do something somewhat interesting that we can kind of take a look at, which they did. So anyway, and we find that they're bored with the resurrection. They want to talk about something else. Uh, not, not that again, a lot of these guys, especially Chandler, I mean, he, he's not wrong. He's just not talking about the resurrection. He's talking about something else. So, so at any rate, there that is. Please uh, go to laymanstermsradio.org and contribute to the Men of Steel project. And we'll see you all next time. <laughs>